take your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you do multiple uh, passages today because we're going to flip around to some of the passages we're, uh, we missed in chapter 1, but we'll go back to it and tie it off. But if I was to ask you the question, like, okay, I'm, I'm people, you came to church today, so some sort of draw for Jesus. You're curious about Jesus. You want to know more about Jesus. Or you have that testimony. You say the word Jesus, and you're just confidently, that is my Jesus. But what is it in your heart and mind when you talk about your Jesus that he is what to you? And for some, he is my strength, and he is my salvation, and he is my rock, and he is my all these different things. And all of that is true. And thank God for all those things. But, the, but as Jesus was teaching, he wanted them to know that he was more than the healer. Because man, did they run to Jesus for healing. He was more than the one that could give them bread, although they lined up multiple times asking to be fed. He was more than the one that could give them sight or raise the dead and all these miraculous things that he did. And I think for sometimes for us, and we talked about this Last week, we have this mindset of going after Jesus for what he can give to me rather than who he is. We have this interesting story because we finish chapter 1 and what happens, and I'm going to go back to it and show you. He calls the disciples. He's starting a movement. He begins to touch lives, heal lives, do these things. He begins to go into the temple and he's, he's preaching and teaching and they're astonished at the things that he's saying because it's blowing their mind because he taught with such authority. Then his popularity got so much that Jesus had to pull away because he was being uh, surrounded all the time. And the Bible says that he pulled away at the end of chapter 1, and then he came back into the city. Well, the noise, the, the, the word began to spread that he was back in the city, and, and, and they're seeking after him. And again, it says in chapter 2, verse 1, and again he entered in Capernaum after some days. He got away, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, they, uh, many were gathered together and so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much about the door. And he preached the word unto them. That is so important. We'll get to that at the end of this passage or at the end of the message. Verse 3, and they come unto him and bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let the bed down wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins are be forgiven thee. And there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man just speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately when Jesus perceived this in his spirit, that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Then it might be known that the Son of Man hath the power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine, ha- in, in, into thine house. And immediately he rose up, and took, his, took up the bed, and he went before them all, insomuch that they were amazed, and glorified God. And they never saw this on this fashion. Now this is a weird passage. In the book of Mark, this is one of the first stories that we read. One of the first unfoldings of the things that Jesus is doing. And then it's, it's kind of a weird thing because they, they, they rip the roof off. They drop this guy down. This whole interruption to this powerful moment that Jesus is teaching and preaching in this house. And Jesus turns and he drops this bomb on them that shocked them. Let's go back. 
Verse 1, and again he entered to Capernaum after some days in annoyance that he was in the house. They were drawn to who he was, drawn to the power of God, drawn to the teaching that was so different. And straightway many were gathered together, so much that there was no room to receive them. And they were backed up at the door, and he's preaching to them. And the gospel was so different because it was the words of God. It wasn't as the scribes, as the Bible describes it in this passage. And the house was full. But the Bible describes that he spoke with authority. I'm going to teach you that as we get into this. They lowered this guy down, expecting what? For him to be healed. And instead of healing the man, Jesus says something that baffled all of the guys, especially the paralyzed guy. <laughs> you can imagine. They lowered him down. He's paralyzed. He can't move. He's looking over at Jesus, looking over at all the crowd and wondering what they're going to do. And Jesus turns and he says, and when he saw their faith, he said to the sick, Son, thy sins be forgiven. And they're up on the roof going, that's not why we brought him. <laughs> he can't walk. That's why he's on the stretcher, sir. You know, it's like, what are you doing? But Jesus is teaching something in this passage that was so vital to us. So vital to them. He drops this bomb on them. They're all shocked. He shocked the friends because he's paralyzed and Jesus isn't healing him. He shocked the scribes. The scribes were these guys that were like the librarians. They would take all the manuscripts, they would transcribe them, they would memorize them, they would, they would critique them. They were like the preservers of truth. They knew the word of God. They knew who the Messiah was. They knew the prophecies of everything that was happening. They, they were there probably not seeking after Jesus as Lord, but seeking after him out of curiosity. But then he says this, and there were certain scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts, and Jesus knew that. But do you understand that Jesus was after their hearts? That's why he came. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? For who can forgive sins but God? Oh, well, wait a minute. He is God. But they didn't understand that yet. They didn't understand that he was the son of man because <clears throat> a lot of the teaching and a lot of the beliefs was that he was Elias or he was Elijah from the Old Testament. Some believed that he was <clears throat> this great preacher, that he was John the Baptist. They, they'd hear the rumors of who he was and what he was doing, but they didn't understand who he was. Jesus wanted them to know who he was, that he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just the Messiah, but he was the son of God. And then Jesus asked a confusing question. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Now let me be honest. I think it would be harder to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Why? Because that's a miracle. I mean, this guy was obviously on a stretcher. There is absolutely no way that he could have gotten up for him in that moment to be able to say, rise up and walk would have been an absolute miracle in that moment. But it still would have identified him maybe with Elijah or something like that, that he was a prophet, he had power of God, he came to do great things. But the fact that he was forgiving sins. Now for us, that would not be as impressive. Why? Because for Jesus to say, thy sins are forgiven, there's no physical change. For the man to stand up and grab his bed and walk out of here when they saw him laying in the streets. Now that is a change. But to say thy sins are forgiven, there's no change. 
So anybody could come in and wave their hands and say, thy sins are forgiven, but there's a problem. He knew the scribes were sitting there. And the scribes knew that no one has the power and the authority to forgive sins other than God. So Jesus is now teaching this lesson in the middle of them to say your sins are forgiven. He is speaking on behalf that he is God. But the verse 10 tells us the reason why. Look at this. That ye may know. You know why Jesus was doing this? He was saying that you might know something. That the Son of Man hath the power on earth to forgive sins. He was, he was extracting them on the authority that he had. That I have the power. <clears throat> Nobody has the power and the authority to forgive sins. But God does. But he's declaring in that moment who he was. And the fact that he was God. You may know that I am the power that is greater than sin. I am the power that is greater than sickness. And then he says, verse 11, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up and took up his bed, and he went before them all. They all visually saw it, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. This was the proof. This was the evidence. So I'm going to tell you about my Jesus, but I'm going to give you a name of God. I'm going to instruct you on something, and it is so important that you understand this as we get this, okay? It is so important that you get this. My Jesus is Lord. Now, I know we say that. All the time we say that. We will say the words that, uh, my dear Lord and Savior, I pray to you now. He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the grave. He is Lord. We say those words, we repeat those words, we sing those words. We have it all through our Bibles about those words. But do we understand what Jesus was saying when he said he is Lord? Now there's different Lords in the Bible. Lowercase L-O-R-D all the way across was like uh, Abraham. He was the Lord of his house. He was the master of his house. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is Adonai. That literally means master, owner, possessor, ruler, Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D means Jehovah. That's a totally different name. And I think on our screen, it's all capital for emphasis, but just think of that as lowercase O-R-I-D, okay, for the sake of this illustration. In the passage that we're studying today, he is Adonai. We get all excited about who Jesus is. God is my healer. I need healing. Man, praise God for that, because I'll tell you, in our lives, I need God to be a healer. God is a rescuer. God is faithful. God is good. God is kind. But we cannot overlook the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me back up and show you this. Because I believe that this is a missing element in our lives and it was a missing element in all of their lives that he has the authority and the power. Go back to chapter 1, verse 21. And he went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue, and he taught. Okay, lots of people teach. He walks into the synagogues, begins to gather this crowd around, and he begins to speak to them. And they were astonished, literally overwhelmed, taken back at his doctrine. Why? For he taught with them as one that had what? Help me out, guys. He had what? He had authority. Now, you got to understand, if he was like any other man, but it finishes up and it says, but not as the scribes, because the scribes had authority. They they were people of position, people of of power, people, people that they knew who he was. But when Jesus went in there, he was teaching 
but not as the scribes. He taught as one that had authority. Let me explain why, because we've, we've studied this. Jesus was and is God. The same words that were spoken, let there be light, and there was light, and let the earth bring forth grass and, and living creatures, and God spoke those words. When Jesus walked into that temple on that day and he began to speak, he was speaking the very words of life. He was speaking truth. He was speaking not as a prophet of God, but he was speaking there as God because his words carried authority. When my kids were little, and I would tell Jordan, go up to the room and tell your brother and sister to get busy cleaning their rooms. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody do that? Go up there, tell them to, to clean their rooms. And they come back and said, Dad, I told them. And they just said, get out. And they don't have to. I said, okay. So I go up there, knock on the door. It's Dad, clean your rooms. What is the difference? I'm speaking with one of authority. I, I'm now coming to you just suggesting something. I have the power. I'm, I'm, I'm the master of the house. Not that I've ever been called that. But I'm the master of the house. Jesus was teaching us that he is the master of the world. He has authority over demons. Let me show you how he unveils this. Every verse in these passages, every single thing, he's showing us something. And there was in the synagogue, why he's teaching with one that has authority, and there's a demon in the presence of them. Being stirred up. I don't know what this looked like, okay? But being stirred up. As he's in this room, the demon's being fired up in this because he's in the presence of the one that has authority. A man with an unclean spirit and cried out, saying, let us alone. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean, let us alone? Doesn't, Bible doesn't say that Jesus walked up to the unclean spirit, whatever, but he knew that he was in the presence, literally in the presence of the great I am. Now, we don't always recognize it, but the demons of hell were recognizing that they were in the presence of the great I am. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? The demons knew Jesus. They recognized the spiritual authority. They recognized the voice of God as he spoke. And he asked the question, art thou come to destroy us? How in the world the demons that were able to get a hold of people? And by the way, demons are still real today. And I, I know we don't go around and talk about that all the time. And the world makes movies and videos and all these things about that. Demons fight differently than they did back then. It might not be an open presentation, but I can promise and tell you this, that demons are real today. They are out to destroy lives. They work through drugs and alcohol and the garbage of this world constantly. They'll rip you apart from the inside out. That does not come from God. It's the demonic activity of this world. And the Bible says, in the print and the power of the air, working through the rulers of darkness of this world. He is out to destroy you and your kids. And he works through all this garbage that we see all around us. He works through social media. He works through lies. He's real. And you are powerless against the demons of this world. But they begged God not to destroy them. Are you trembling? The demons trembling. Are you going to destroy us? I know thee. Who thou art? You're the Holy One of God. 
Jesus responds to the demon. And listen to, to this. How is this possible? You say, man, people are so tormented today. People that can't break through from addictions and people that can't overcome things in their life. And say, Where, where's the hope of this? Listen to this. And Jesus rebuked them and said, hold thy peace. The word hold thy peace literally means shut your mouth. No exaggeration whatsoever. It means to silence. Jesus the Messiah, the prophet, the teacher, the one sent from God, the son of man and the son of God, turns to the demon there and says, shut your mouth. And then he says, get out. Does it not say that? Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, he cried with a loud voice and he came out. You say, why is that possible? Because the demons had no authority or even remotely close to the authority of the great I am. That is the truth of what happened. In the presence of God, in the presence of authority, in the presence of his teaching, you say, I wish we had that today. Oh, we do. We hold in our hands the very living word of God. It will never return void. It's quick. It's powerful. It's alive. It goes out and accomplishes what God has ordained for it to do. It will never fail. It's never empty and it's never weak. That is why we don't water it down. We don't back down. We we don't compromise on the word of God. We preach it the way it is because it's not up to us. It's up to the master. Get out. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they were questioning among themselves, saying, what is this thing? What new doctrine is this? For with what? Authority. Commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. You guys catching on anything yet? Let's keep reading. Verse 40. He hath authority over disease. And there came leper to see him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, leprosy was a disease that once you got it, you're done. There was no cure. The only one in history that we knew before this was Naaman, that when he dipped down in the Jordan River seven times and he was made clean, and that was therefore a miracle of God in and of itself. People didn't just get over this. So they would push them out of their cities. They were rejected. They would wander around in the desert, the wilderness. They had to walk into places and say, unclean, unclean, while their bodies literally fell apart. They were a total mess, a total disaster with no help, no family, no people around them. And the disease was powerful. Jesus was moved with compassion and put forth his hand and he touched him, saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken... Immediately, the leprosy got out, departed from him, and he was cleansed. And straightly changed him, and forthwith he sent him away, and saith unto him, See that thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer thy cleansing to those which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. See, nobody could just walk back in and put, you know, long sleeves on and go, Hey guys, I'm back, everything's good. They couldn't do that. They had to go up to the, the, the rulers and be able to show themselves for them to say, okay, you're clean. Well, guess what? That never happened. Why? Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Because there was nothing in this world that was more powerful than leprosy. Until that day when leprosy, a disease, part of the curse, got into the presence of God and it had to go because God has authority over disease. Now, I'm not... Guys, just so you know, I'm not one of these wealth and prosperity getting up here 
I'm, I'm literally just preaching the passage, okay? So before you start thinking thoughts like, you know what I'm saying. Something divine happened because God spoke and it happened. The man Jesus, the Jesus man, the God man made the disease go away because he had authority. He has authority over this world. Let me, let me speed forward a little bit just because I want to show you this. And Mark 4, there's a great storm. They get into it. The boat is rocking like crazy, taking on water. They're bailing water. At the end of the time, they wake up. Jesus cares not thou that we die. Jesus gets up and look at what he does. And he arose and he rebuked the wind. Stop. And he said unto the sea, peace. Okay, the word peace in that passage literally means silence or to stop. So let me just lay it out for you what Jesus did. This raging storm, thunder, lightning, the sea raging, throwing the boat left and right. They were about to die, taking on water. And Jesus said to the raging storm, stop it. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea do what? Obey him. Why did the wind and sea obey him? He has authority. They had to submit to the God that was over them. God is the creator of the storms. God is the creator of man. God is the creator of DNA. God is the creator of human beings. God is the creator of all. He is the master. He's the ruler. We love it. Praise God for it. We sing about it. In Mark 1, 3, Mark was talking about John the Baptist and declaring who was coming in. And if you have your Bible, look at it. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Guess what Lord that's talking about there? Prepare ye the way of the master. Make his path straight. He has authority over demons. He has authority over disease. He has authority over this world. He has authority over you. I'm going to put it, need to say it this way. He has authority over us. I'm not putting myself above this. Prepare ye the way of the Lord means supreme in authority, that he is master. I said this at the beginning. It means that he is Adonai. He is ruler. There is no one greater. There's no one above him. He is, I tell you, the, the, the name the most high God is the name El Elyon. Literally, when they talked about glory to God in the highest, literally means there's no higher ruler. There's no one greater. There's no one that speaks more truth. There's no one that, because when at the beginning, when there was nothing, he spoke and everything came because he is the author, the inventor, the creator, the beginning and the end. He is everything. That is who he is. Do you agree with that? That means he's not just God in your life. He's the ultimate authority over your life. This is where it's going to start getting quiet, so hang with me. You don't belong to you. If you truly believe every story is like, he is the master of the wind and the maker of the rain and he can calm a storm and make the... Yes, he is! He can make the demons shut their mouth. He can make disease go. But I'm telling you, when it comes to our lives, he is your Lord and master. But that's a problem. 
we don't like anybody telling us what to do. I was at the church uh, or, or out meeting with somebody and somebody that has nothing to do with us directly as a church and talking to them and they knew that I was a pastor and talking about biblical things. They were talking about doctrinal things and they said, yeah, that's so old-fashioned. I don't believe that. Can I tell you, for us as Christians, this is the words of God. It's the final authority. You don't have a say in whether you believe it or not. It is not right or wrong according to your tiny mind. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but I'm saying in retrospect of who God is, we are to submit to the authority of God. Let me just unveil why this is so important, why we're having so many problems today. Because we want to run to God for the healing. We want to run to God for the help. We want God to fix things in our lives. We want God to be all of these things. But do we acknowledge him first as Lord? Do we acknowledge the fact that he is the ruler over your life? That he dictates to you how you are to live When God says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, God is saying that I command you, I instruct you to go to church. And people say, ah, go when I can. It's not not up to us. God says, if you need the church, be in church. That's how we are to live. If God says that we're to share the gospel with every creature, it's not up to us. But there's so many things when it comes to dating relationships and shacking up today and all these other things that we do and just say, I don't see it that way. If you're a believer, you must see it his way because he is the master of your life. But to submit ourselves under the authority of God means we have to deny ourselves. And this is where people aren't going to run to the church and tell me what Jesus said that I should change in my life. And by the way, when you become followers of Jesus Christ, there are things that he's going to tell you that you need to change in your life. And if you trust him for your salvation, then you need to trust him for your life. And if we're not, we need to stop worshiping him as Lord as opposed to just running to him as a resource. Because if we're not worshiping and submitting ourselves to him as the authority in our lives, then we don't truly mean that he is the Lord of our lives. There's a reason for it. But there's a second theme that happens in all these passages, and I can't, I can't overlook this. He is Lord. But the Bible pulls in this thing that he is love at the same time. And I don't know if you read it and now you're like, man, he just breezed right over. Let me go back and show you this because he did. He's so powerful. He, he was driven by love. Let's go back to the leper, okay? When, when he found out that he had this disease and they found the spots and they wrapped it up and it wasn't getting better. And he showed his wife and says, you know, eventually you're going to have to show the priest. I know, but if I do, and if this truly is leprosy, I know, honey, I know what this means. He was an outcast, they, they pushed him out. Literally, when he said goodbye to his family, he couldn't even hug and kiss them. It, it, is, it is over. He's an outcast wandering the streets. And if he went anywhere, he'd yell out unclean. And they would run in the opposite direction. Rejected. Messed up. Disgusting. And literally physically falling apart. Can I just add in there hopeless? There was no cures, there was no doctors, there was no OSU, there was no running to any place around here. But when Jesus saw him, and you said, like, the, the, the disease had to go. But let me tell you, the motive for going to him, the Bible says in that passage, 
Mark 1.41, it said, and Jesus moved with compassion. Compassion is an inward, tender mercy, a deep love. Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, now get this in your mind, okay? This man could die or be rejected by even being in the vicinity of other human beings because there was a law against that, those because they didn't want the, the disease to spread. And he comes in there and he kneels down and he says, if thou wilt. Do you know what he was doing? He wasn't saying, I name and claim my healing. I submit to you as my master and ask you in the authority of you as my God, will you heal me? Do we submit to the authority of God as he reaches out his tender mercy, love towards, and this powerful thing that happens, watch this, and he put forth his hand and touched him. Now, honestly, we read that all through the Gospels, different times that Jesus did that, but he had not been touched. No hugs, no affection, no high fives, no being around people, and he reached out his hand and he touched him. See, why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus loved him. Why did Jesus do that? Because he could, because he had authority over what was affecting his life. He had the power to change his life. He is Lord, but he is love. You go back to Mark chapter 2, when he could have left the man on the stretcher, but he didn't. Jesus saw his greatest need, which was salvation, thy sins be forgiven. But Jesus saw his physical need, and in the compassion of God, he reaches down and he heals him. What do we learn by this? You, you, you say with the, either of these people, it doesn't matter how messed, you, messed up you are. You say, I am so messed up. Pastor Tony, I'm so messed up. My life is a mess. You've got things going on in your life that nobody knows about. You, you say, I'm an outcast. I'm a mistake. And Jesus in the middle of that cares about you. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. His motive of reaching into your life is the fact that he loves you when nobody else loved you, when nobody else cared. He has the authority over your problems, but he had the power, he had, loved, he had the motivation to reach into your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can't say it enough. You say he is Lord, but let me promise you on the, on the flip side of it, he is also love. He's the only one that can save you, but he wants to. I'm messed up. He's the only one that can fix you, but he wants to. He's the only one that will never leave you. But he stays with you because he wants to. And the Bible says in Mark 2 that he said, rise up and walk. And he grabs his bed and immediately he rose up and went out with his bed. And they were all amazed at what had happened because they visualized the fact that Jesus is Lord over all. Over sickness. Over your finances. Over your time. Over your kids. Over, over your opinion, he is Lord of all. He's Lord over the wind, over the sea, over disease, over demons, over everything. And it says, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which is born of four. I skipped that. Do you notice I kind of just went over it? My question is, what do we do to respond to the power of his love? Because I'm telling you, I see his authority and I know what God does, but the question is, that who were these guys? Have you ever wondered that? Who were these guys? Somebody one day saw Jesus. I don't know who it was. I don't know what's going on. But one day somebody saw Jesus and said, ran up to three other dudes, said, I got an idea. 
I don't know what the dude's name though is that was, that was lame, the, the, the sick of the palsy. I don't know what his name. The Bible doesn't give us any of the names for these people. But I know that these four guys got together and he said, I was in town or I was somewhere and I saw a man and it's noise abroad that he is in that house. That house? The one that's backed up out of the door. I can't even get, I can't even see in a window. But he's been sick his whole life. I don't know what we can do, but I'm telling you, if he has the authority and the power to heal, then I say we get him to Jesus. And the Bible says that they four bore him up and got them there. And I go, well, this is great. Nobody's moving for us. We got a sick guy. Need to get through. Hey, can, can you guys move out? There wasn't. So they back up. Rather than saying, well, this is really complicated or really difficult or dude, maybe another day when Jesus comes back or something, you know. They didn't do that. One of them still spoke out with such passion, by the way, with such faith. And said, what if we bring him up top and rip the roof off? Rip, rip, rip the roof off. Yes. And drop him down in the middle of the church service that's going on. Let's do it. <laughs> it's like, you know why I'm not afraid to put stages up here and do all this crazy stuff in here? Because it's worth it to reach kids. It is worth it to sacrifice and to get out of our comfort zones and and say, we might go to jail. Then let us go to jail. Let's just get to Jesus. And they lowered him there, ripping off the roof. The Bible literally says that they ripped off the roof and lowered him down. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there and drops of junk falling on his head? It's like, like then looking up and seeing the roof open up in this bright light shining. I, I, I've had distractions while I've been preaching before, but I can't imagine them literally ripping the roof off while he's preaching. And maybe everybody else is in the room is just irritated. But the Bible says when he saw their faith, not the sake of the palsy, when he saw when he saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. Do you know what that faith is? It's faith in believing that he is who he says he is. I can say he is love and he is Lord all day long, but I'm telling you, the question is, do we believe it of how we respond to it? And this week, I truly believe that we have a way to do that. As he calls us to reach people, we go out of our way, we'll rip the roof off, We'll sacrifice, we'll give, we'll do, we'll do whatever it takes. We're going to get people to Jesus. You know why? Because he is Lord. So he's a lot of things in our lives. Let me just testify. Jesus is a lot of things in our lives. And as we read through Mark and I go to the different stories, you're going to realize all the things that he is and how deep his love is. But let's never run around in this world begging God for the handouts without bowing our knee to the one that is the master of our lives.